Turn your Bibles, if you would, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Again, guests, thank you for being here. I'm preaching through the Gospel of John. Uh, started January the 1st. Here we are almost in December. And we've got to John's Gospel, the 10th chapter. And so we've still got a long ways to go. But I'm enjoying the journey. And if you're joining us uh, here this morning, then of course you can jump on with us. Jesus has just healed a blind man. In John chapter 9, this blind man, of course, he was in the temple and Jesus heals this blind man. And and the blind man, of course, is touched by the Lord. And even in his own testimony, in verse 25, he says that he answered, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. This one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, I now can see. And so what a great testimony. These Pharisees are uh, still uh, debating Jesus. They're still arguing with Jesus. And I'm, I'm under the assumption that in verse 41 of John chapter 9, they're still, he, though he ends the chapter, you understand that John did not end the chapter. Men himself, uh, men who put these Bibles together, actually formulated the chapters and the verses. And so I believe John 10 is a continuation of John chapter 9, at least the first part of John chapter 10. Look at it with me. The Bible says in verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach for a few minutes. And Lord, we've been blessed by the singing been blessed by the worship. Lord, now we have come to our time together in the Word, and I pray that these next few moments will help us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe that God, with God's help this morning, I just want to give you some thoughts this morning on the shepherd and the sheep. The shepherd and the sheep. And one key to understanding this passage here in John chapter 10, because a lot of times this, this chapter, at least these first 15, 16, 17 verses are taken out of context. I've, I've heard some men preach that, that the, the sheepfold is heaven and there's one way to heaven and Jesus is the door. And, and, but but that, that analogy doesn't fit here because Jesus, of course, is addressing the Pharisees. And this is dealing, the first 10 verses, I believe, is dealing a lot with Israel, but we can make application here. Yes, there is one door, and yes, Jesus is that door, and yes, we are the sheep, and and, and I believe the application is this, though, uh, nobody's going to steal us from heaven. No one's going to reach in and, and rob us. They can't take our salvation, amen? But they can steal some things. They can steal our joy. They can steal our contentment, because in, actually in verse number 10, the Bible says, uh, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy, I come that ye might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So Jesus is about giving us the abundant life. What's the devil do? The devil comes in and he tries to steal and he tries to kill and he tries to destroy. But I believe the contrast in this chapter is really seeing what a true shepherd looks like versus a false shepherd. Here's the contrast. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He's speaking to the Pharisees who were religious leaders in Israel. They were the religious 
they were the ones that was looked to, the ones that had memorized a lot of the Old Testament. They were the followers of Abraham, the followers of Moses. They were the ones that were revered as the spiritual leaders in Israel. And Jesus is addressing these religious leaders who should have been faithful shepherds over God's flock. They should have taken God's flock and overseen them, but they had failed miserably. Matter of fact, nowhere in, Mark, or in John chapter 9 do I see these Pharisees rejoicing over a man receiving his eyesight back. Now you think about this for just a minute, church. If one of you in here were blind and... We would, you come to us and you say, Pastor, we, we, we're, we need to pray that I get my eyesight back. I, I once could see, but now I'm blind and, and I, I want to get my eyesight back. And we prayed and all of a sudden, one Sunday, you come through those doors and you hold your hands up and you say, look at what God has done. And I got my eyesight back. All of us in here today would no doubt cheer and come and hug and say, this is a miracle. This is wonderful. I don't even see that happening. Matter of fact, these religious leaders kicked that blind man which now could see out of the temple they kick him out of the temple they say hey now that you can see see your way out now that you got your eyes apparently healed by this man you can go on because you're not actually doing what we want you to do and Jesus is addressing these Pharisees and he said you know what with all of the knowledge of the law and with all of the things that you that you have and all of how people revere you uh, you should be lording or shepherding rather shepherding over the flock but they were not Not once did they rejoice over this fact that this man's eyesight had been restored. Not once did they rejoice over the fact that that man with the withered hand had been uh, healed. Not once did they rejoice about that woman at the well. Not once did they rejoice about that woman who was caught in adultery coming and getting her life changed. Not once did they rejoice. Why? Because they they were concerned about Jesus violating their legalistic Sabbath rules that they were about this man. They had a problem with Jesus. They had a problem with a true shepherd. And as shepherds, they should have taught the people, but instead they ridiculed them and, uh, for their ignorance and they used their own power to keep the people in fear, threatening to excommunicate them if they confess Jesus. And by the way, can I just say a lot of that stuff still exists in our religious realm today? People use their power. So in John 10, Jesus draws a sharp contrast between them as false shepherds and he as the true shepherd. And here's what he says in verse 1. Look at it with me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a, he calls them two things, a thief and a robber. There is a comparison That Jesus actually says, here's what you are. If you are a false shepherd, don't miss this. If you're a false shepherd, you are a thief and you are a robber. You come not the way that's designed for you to come into the fold. He said, I'm the true shepherd. I'm the door. I want you to examine some things with me. Jesus uses this parable, and it's the only one that I know of in John's gospel. We see it in verse 6. He used that parable. In other gospels, we call the synoptic gospels, he, he used parables all the time. There's many parables mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Very few, of course, in 
John's gospel. But I want us to look at some things this morning on the shepherd and the sheep very, very briefly. There's a contrast between the good shepherd and the false shepherds of Israel. Can I say, number one, that Jesus is the true, legitimate shepherd who enters in the way that is proper and prepared. He says, verily, verily. What's verily, verily mean? It means most assuredly. I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and the robber. Verse 2, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So Jesus uses and he follows at least the thematically in, in John's gospel, there's a great conflict between these religious leaders. There's a lot of hearts at work right now. We have the heart of, of the Pharisees. We have the heart of the needy, this, this person who was blind. And then we have the holy heart of the Savior. All of these hearts are on display. And Jesus says, most assuredly or verily, verily, this is something that I want you to see. This is, this is a pay attention moment, if you will. He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold. But climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Now, Isaiah and Jeremiah in their day, and I think Isaiah chapter 3 and Jeremiah, or Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 3, these two prophets actually called the politicians in them days, called them shepherds. But Jesus explained that not everyone among the sheep is a true shepherd. And one mark of being a thief and a robber is how they gain entry into the sheepfold. They did not come through the door. They actually chose to climb over the walls. Most thieves that enter into homes, unless they find that the folks are not there, and they'll gain entry. But a lot of times a thief will come in some other way. They won't come through the front entrance. They try to find a window that's not locked. They try to find a door that's not locked. They try to burst their way in. They try to do something. But yet Jesus says that a thief and a robber climbs up some other way. The idea is that there is a door. A door into the sheepfold, a proper way of gaining entry. And not everyone who stands among the sheep comes that way. Some climb in some other ways. And the religious leaders of this day, they gain their place among God's people. And the sheep spoken of here through personal and political connections, through maybe formal education, some through ambition, some through manipulation, and some through corruption. These thieves and robbers are there to kill, steal, and destroy. One part of my role as a pastor is to warn you of when these thieves are trying to get in. If I see a robber, if I see someone trying to disrupt what God is doing, if I see that going on, my job is to take the crook that God has given me and to go after that thief and drive him out of the fold. They have no business here. They have no welcome here. Listen, all are welcome, but if you're here to steal, kill, and destroy, you're not welcome. Because here's what Bible preaching will do. Let me just perk up just a second. Here's what Bible preaching will do. Bible preaching over time will reveal who's a thief and a robber. 
There's two main things just in these first two verses that I see very important. And I want you to listen to these things. And, and if you're a writer in your Bible or if you're a writer on the, maybe on the edges or maybe you got a piece of paper in your Bible, just remember these two important lessons that we should take with us as we read the Scripture and as we live our, our daily lives as Christians. Two important lessons that I found. Number one is this. Being grounded in sound doctrine is essential. It is not optional doctrine is essential false doctrine has creeped in so much in our churches and people listen people are just soaking it in and they cannot dis- discern between what is false and what is real and they are just eating it up and listen we need to be grounded in true bible doctrine Here's the second thing. Christ-like shepherds warn their flock about false teachers. I should warn you about a false teacher. If you read uh, the epistles there that Paul wrote to these churches and these, even these pastoral epistles that Paul wrote, he warned of false teachers. He even told us that perilous times would come. He told us that in these last days that there would be men who, who would teach False, and by the way, there's probably never been a time where men and women are teaching false doctrine. And guess what? People are just following it like sheep to the slaughter. Falsely. If Jesus is the true shepherd, and we see this comparison in John 10, and he warns about false teachers, then his under-shepherds, which is a pastor, must also warn about false teachers. And by the way, we should not mince any words. We should not be playing patty cakes with false teachers. We should not, Brother Joseph, be sharing our platform with false teachers because we're trying to be nice. Matter of fact, you say, well, pastor, what about being Jesus-like? Let me tell you, if you want to read what Jesus thought about false teachers, turn over to Matthew chapter 23. I'll show you that the greatest man in all the world and the most perfect man to ever live, the sinless Son of God, had no, he had no room for false teachers. And you're looking at a pastor who will not put up with tainted doctrine. Will not. If you say, well, pastor, what about this and what about that? And what about this new doctrine that's crept in? And what about this? And listen, friend, if it's not in Scripture and it's not clearly laid out, I want no part of it. Doctrine matters. It matters to our young people. It matters to our teenagers. It matters. And as a shepherd or an under-shepherd of this flock, I will answer to God for what you hear. That's why when you come here, There's other churches that will entertain you better. There's other churches that no doubt will have their music and and have all the things. And I think we have Christ-honoring music, and I love it. But there'll be other, and, and I've got friends all over the spectrum, and I don't mind what they do. But can I tell you this, when it comes to the preaching of God's Word, you're going to hear it and hear it straight. Hear it straight with doctrine. And here's what it says. Notice verse 3, to him the porter openeth. So this is the the doorkeeper. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep in verse 2. But then in verse 3 tells us that that there's a a porter that openeth and the sheep hear his voice and calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. There was a preacher one time who traveled to the Holy Land 
I'll be there in a few months. I've been before. It's a wonderful place. You ever get opportunity to go? It's great. We'll we'll try to get a group together here very soon and go. When they reached the high ridge overlooking the village of Bethlehem, and let me say this about Bethlehem. Bethlehem, what you've seen on uh, uh, a nativity scene or what you think it looks like when Jesus was born under a maybe some type of uh, awning or a little barn or something. It, it's not really like that over there. Matter of fact, in Bethlehem, there's many caves. It's hill country with caves in the side. And the, matter of fact, the, the, the shepherds would lead their sheep out into the hill country and they would, they would uh, graze. And then at nighttime, they would lead them back into a fold that would kind of butt up to a cave opening and there you would have sheep that would actually be in that fold area and they still have those today. And this pastor, he saw a shepherd there and and he saw him with his sheep and so he went over to this shepherd there and and started a conversation with him and he it wasn't long before the owner appeared of the sheep. He kind of appeared they said he looked like Moses, a real long beard, and had a, had a crook or a staff in his hand. And the friend asked, he said, are these your sheep? Is this your sheepfold? And he said, yes. Is this where the sheep sleep at night? And pointing to this rough shelter-looking thing that was up against the cave area, just one, one little opening. And he said, Yes. But you have no gate. There's no gate on the door. How do you close them in at night? And the shepherd kind of looked at this preacher like he had asked a very dumb question. He said with emphasis, I am the door. I am the door. And he gathered his loose robe tight around his ankles and he was down for just a moment, kind of squatting in the doorway. His back was against one post, his feet was up against the other post and his knees kind of drawn up and he kind of clasped by his weather-beaten old hands and gently he bowed his head right in front of this preacher and he kind of repeated a few times, I am the door. I keep watch here at night. If thieves and wild beasts attempt to steal my sheep, they have to tackle me first. I have never lost a lamb. Why? Because he was the door. What was Jesus saying? I am the door. Thieves, if they try to come in and they don't come in the door, they're here to steal and to kill. And destroy. So the second thing I see, the first thing is this. We see that the, 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 the Jesus is the true legitimate shepherd. He is the one that enters in the way that is prosperous and prepared. But the second thing I see is the sheep and the shepherd. Look at verse 3. He says to the porter that openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name. Notice that. And leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So there's a doorkeeper. In the spiritual picture Jesus spoke of, the door of the sheep pen had a doorkeeper, one who watched who came in and one who watched who came out. And the doorkeeper knows the true shepherd, and the doorkeeper appropriately grants the shepherd access In towns of that time, sheep from many flocks were kept in the night 
in the same general area in the common sheepfold overseen by maybe one doorkeeper who regulated the shepherds and brought, who brought sheep and who dropped off sheep and who took sheep. And so think about it. The porter is the, the doorkeeper. He's the one who watches who comes in this door and who goes out. And then he says something interesting in verse 3. He calleth his own sheep by name. I want you to see he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. So shepherds call their sheep by name. Now showing that the shepherd has a personal connection with the sheep. The shepherd leads them. He provides direction for them. He provides leadership for them. Without driving sheep. Nowhere in scripture do you see a shepherd driving sheep. To drive sheep it means you must scream at the sheep. To drive sheep it must mean that you beat the sheep. Hey, nowhere do you see Jesus ever drive sheep. He always leads them. That's a good example for us. He calls them by name. Think about that. That's a personal touch. He doesn't yell at the sheep. He doesn't holler at the sheep. Matter of fact, they have a name. Guess what? Jesus addresses them is what he's saying. There was a commentator by the last name Dodds. He says this, As we have names for horses and dogs and cows, so the eastern shepherd had names for their sheep. F.F. Bruce said, In my youth, some shepherds in Scottish Highlands not only called their individual sheep by name, but claimed that an individual sheep would recognize his own name and respond to it. That's interesting. That a shepherd would actually name each sheep. There was a man one time who was traveling in the east, and he heard there was a shepherd who still kept the custom of calling his sheep by name. And so he went to the man and he said, let me put your clothes on, let me take your crook, and, and I will call these sheep, and, and I'm disguised like a shepherd, and they will come to me. And so he did, and he called one sheep, and, and that shepherd said, yeah, call him, her, her name's Mina. And so she, he called the sheep Mina, and he said, Mina, Mina, just like that. And the whole flock ran away. Then he said to the shepherd, will none of them follow me when I call them? And the shepherd replied, oh yes, some of them will follow you, the sick ones. Sick sheep follow any voice. And that's interesting to me. Because a sick sheep, a one that maybe is not grounded, maybe one that's not matured, maybe one that is steeped in some type of doctrine, would follow any voice. And that would explain today why some would be sitting in a church that teaches false religion. is because they're spiritually sick. Sick sheep follow any voice. In this gospel, Jesus calls the following sheep by name. Uh, one sheep had a name by the name of Philip, another by Mary of Magdala, one Thomas, and one Simon Peter. And by the way, when Jesus called them by name, it changed their life. <laughs> and when Jesus called you by name, He changed your life. And when Jesus called me by name, He called me and changed my life. And guess what else He did in verse 3? He leadeth them out. Adam Clark said it's a custom in the eastern countries for the shepherd to lead in front of the sheep from pasture to pasture. A true leader steps out in front of the sheep and he leads the sheep. He doesn't bark at them. He doesn't holler at them from the back and say go. No, he leads them from pasture to pasture. 
And notice what else it says. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him. Notice this last phrase of verse 4. For they know his voice. The shepherd has a distinct, stay with me, the shepherd has a distinct voice. One that you can discern. Let me just say, in this world, there is a lot of voices. There's voices from all over. There's, there's voices all over the news and voices all over the political front and voices even in the spiritual front. But there is one distinct voice that you should be listening to and that is the voice of the shepherd. The one that is going to lead you. A story of a Scotch traveler who changed his clothes in Jerusalem as a Jerusalem shepherd and he tried to lead the sheep but the sheep followed the shepherd's voice. And not his clothes. During World War I, some soldiers tried to steal a flock from a a shepherd who was on the hillside in Jerusalem. He was asleep and some soldiers thought it would be funny to steal his sheep while he's sleeping. And so when the shepherd woke up, he realized that his flock was gone and he panicked and he ran down the steep hill. He looked over the next hill. He sees these soldiers uh, laughing and and having his sheep kind of following with him. They're kind of driving him and stealing him and hollering at him and, and getting him away from him and the shepherd in panic he makes a sound and he he says something as he normally would that the sheep would respond and as soon as the sheep heard it over that hill they turned around and went right through them soldiers and came right back to that shepherd why because they recognized the shepherd's voice Jesus used this illustration in these first four verses He uses this parable, this illustration, and this picture both of the work of Jesus among his sheep and of those that would seek to serve among the sheep of Jesus who uh, they should focus upon. Adam Clark, another great commentator who I had researched a little bit to John chapter 10, Adam Clark gave six things that a true shepherd or a legitimate minister of the gospel, a pastor, should learn from the first four verses of John chapter 10. Now, I wrote these down because I thought, boy, a a church ought to put these in their bylaws, really, when they're looking for a pastor and they're searching for a true shepherd, not a hireling, not some uh, browbeater, not some lording over. I'm talking about when a church is looking for a true shepherd, this is what they should find. The first thing I noticed is this, and you want, want to write these down, it'd be good. In looking for a legitimate minister of God, this pastor has a proper entrance into the ministry. A proper entrance into the ministry. Let me just say, he was not mama called. He was not papa sent. He did not call himself. He did not say, oh, this is a great career move. God actually placed him into the ministry. Let me just say this, when looking for a pastor, bypass all of the resumes and look at the man and ask him, when was it that God placed you into the ministry? I've never filled out a resume. 
I never, even with this church, I'm thankful the Lord opened the door. And they didn't ask me for a resume. I'm not against that. I, I'm actually, I think it's wise to know how to. And if a man puts a resume together and he's looking for an opportunity, I have nothing against that w- whatsoever. If a church asks for one, I have nothing against that. Sometimes it's very wise to see his qualifications. But there are some things that go beyond a resume. Can I get a witness? There are some things that a man can put on paper that can actually be false. And by the way, a man cannot put his character on paper. You might, you might want to just do some calling. You might want to pick up the phone and say, Hey, what was this guy like five years ago? What was this guy like two years ago? Does he lord over the sheep or does he lead the sheep? See, those questions may actually save you from a world of hurt. It is, it is what we should do. He has a proper entrance into the ministry. He was not placed there by daddy. He was not put there by mama. He was not put there himself. God put him there. I can take you to the spot in the hills of Virginia at a youth camp in 1997 where God placed his call upon my life. I couldn't run from it. I couldn't escape it. I couldn't deny it. God placed me into the ministry. Let me say this, he's opened door after door. Hey, the second thing about a minister is this, a shepherd, a true shepherd, is he sees the Holy Spirit open his way as a doorkeeper to God's sheep. God opens doors for this man through his spirit. Think about it. God opens his, these doors through his spirit. Now, I, for me, God has always kicked the door open because I'm too dumb to figure it out myself, right? God always opens these doors. Listen, as a minister of God, this is great because he he gives us a proper entrance into the ministry. He sees the Holy Spirit open his way, not man. And then thirdly, he sees the sheep respond to his voice and teaching and leadership. Listen, it'd be a sad thing is I preach my guts out every week and you never respond. It would be sad. Uh, listen, I was in Nebraska last week. I loved, I, I don't, I very rarely do I preach on a Sunday at somewhere, on a Sunday morning somewhere else. But this church had asked uh, me last year about this time to come preach on Friday night to a bunch of teenagers at a basketball tournament and then stay over Sunday and preach at First Baptist Church right outside of Omaha. It's a, it's a good sized church. Different. I mean, great people. I, I, I love the church. It was wonderful. We had great services. I preached four times on Sunday. They pre- about preached me to death. It was cold. Not the people. The temperature. I landed, it was 17 degrees on Friday. And the wind about 40 mile an hour. So you can imagine, just a recipe for disaster. Y'all understand, it was terrible. And then Saturday wasn't much better. Sunday was cold. And then people just come to church. If it was that cold here, some of y'all would be at the house. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And people out in Nebraska, they, they don't care. Cold, it gets, I mean, and it, it, they didn't care. I was freezing. I froze the whole time. I froze in church, outside of church. I froze in restaurants. I froze in the airplane. I froze everywhere. It was cold. Too cold for me. But it wasn't home. Those people responded. It was a different. I, I preached, and, and, and a lot of times they just looked at you. You know what I mean? So, some of y'all are good at that, like Kalijah, the wooden Indian. Just, you know. Doesn't mean, you're not, doesn't mean you're not with me, but you just, you know, if I based my messages on how you respond each week, I'd be a discouraged person. I'd be like this every time. I'd, I'd be like this all the time. 
Uh, listen, I don't judge services by how many come to the altar, how many people get saved, though I love all that stuff. I don't judge services so much like that. I judge by, when I preach the Word, how you are engaged in it. I can tell when you're engaged in a message. I can tell when someone is soaking it in or someone is like, man, we're about to lose our role. Uh, we're about to lose our place to the Methodist in the, in the buffet line. They're going to beat us all. I mean, you're looking at it thinking, how are we going to get out of this? I'm hungry. Your stomach's telling. Uh, here's the deal. Over time, really time reveals if uh, people are responding to the message. You see your church grow, not numerically, so to speak, though we've seen some numerical growth. That's not how we judge if people are receiving the word. We see it by action. How faithful are we through perseverance? How faithful are we through hard times? How faithful are we to share the gospel? Hey, are we receiving it? And listen, I, I preached in Nebraska, and, and it was a little different there. They don't give invitations. It's just kind of when you're done, you pray, and we leave. And, and I was instructed some things. It was a little different for me. I had to get used to it. But guess what? People were responding in such a way. It was amazing to see what God was doing. It would be sad for me, Brother Bushy, if I were to go to other churches and people respond better than they respond at my home church because these are the sheep that God has given me so if anybody were to respond it should be you and then you're not responding so much to me you're responding to the word you respond are we respond when's the last time you responded to the word listen when's the last time you responded to the word of God in your life where the message has been preached and you have been so convicted that you, you were caused. That's why I love invitations. It causes you to respond to something. It's not just formality, though sometimes we look at it that way. Close your eyes, bow your head. Hey, are you saved? Are you not saved? And this and that. And you may think, oh, let's do this. One, two, three, and all this kind of stuff, and we're done. No, no, no. It is, a, it is an action, or it's a, it's a decision to lead you to a response. And that's why we should invite you to make a decision about what you heard. And a true shepherd wants you to do something. I don't want you to sit on your blessed assurance each week and do nothing. You're not called to sit soaking sour on a little church seat somewhere. You're called to serve. You say, well, pastor, what do I do? Hey, find something. Ask God to open up the door and go through it. And God will show you, hey, this pastor, he sees the sheep respond to his voice in teaching and leadership. Boy, in these last nearly seven years, I've seen people grow. It's been amazing. He leads or he is well acquainted with his flock. He leads the flock and does not drive them or lord over them. He goes before the sheep as an example. These are qualities that a pastor should have as a shepherd. But here's, here's the last thing this morning. It's found in verse number 7. Verse 7 of John chapter 10. So he's speaking this in a parable form unto them. They didn't understand what he's saying. But then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, there it is again. I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pastures. Jesus said, I am the door. Verse 7, I am the door of the sheep. So Jesus used another picture of this sheep in, in a farming in his time And he used the pasture lands for sheep 
pens that were made with only one entrance and the door for those sheep pens was the shepherd himself. His body would lay across the, the door. And then he says, all who ever came by me or or before me are thieves and robbers. A thief implies destruction and trickery. A robber implies violence and destruction. All of them who came before, Jesus said, hey, there's many that has come before me that's maybe promised things. They were just thieves and robbers. They had some self-gain. But then it says this, He says in verse number 10, or verse number 9, And I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pastures. Go in and out. This phrase is is the style of the Hebrews. It points to the action of man's life, the liberty he has of acting and not acting. To go in and out was common in the Old Testament. You could read about it in Jeremiah 37 and Psalms 121, Deuteronomy chapter 28. And to have the abundant life. If you look at verse 10, and this is where I'll end, he says this, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But then he noticed, he stops, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, Don't misunderstand verse 10. Abundant life is not necessarily a long life. All of us would love an abundant life, meaning we think about abundant life. We think about living our full term and living a long... That's not exactly what Jesus is meaning here. Abundant life isn't an easy, comfortable life. When we think about abundant life, Brother Scott, I think about a life that is full of just great opportunities and easy and and, and our natural mind. We think about an abundant life of just life, just, just, just... just victory after victory, but that's not what Jesus is talking about either. The abundant life is a life of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus Christ. No matter what circumstances you're in, you say, Pastor, you don't know my circumstances. You still can have an abundant life in Christ. See, Spurgeon said this, life is a matter of degrees. Some have life, but it flickers like a dying candle and is indistinct as the fire in the smoking flax. Others are full of life, bright and vehement. Someone has put it this way. The abundant life is someone that has a lot of life, has has stamina. The abundant life is someone with a lot of life has increased energy. Someone with a lot of life has a large sphere of living. Someone with a lot of life has the ability to do things. Someone with a lot of life has an overflow of enjoyment. And someone with a lot of life has what it takes to win. When you have life, you have those desires. An abundant life, sheep give honor to the shepherd. They Give credit to the shepherd. These first ten verses, we see a, a, a great, a great difference between a false shepherd and a true shepherd. Jesus came to give life. A false shepherd comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Someone told me a very sad story this week. Brother Jacob, you can come. I'm not going to tell the church, but it's very close to home. I do, and I and, and I, I I hear a lot of sad stories. Unfortunately, just in ministry, you hear a lot of sad stories. I see a lot of churches closed. 
Matter of fact, I have a heart for churches, Brother Scott. I have a heart for pastors and I have a heart for churches. I hate to see churches close. I hate it. We don't need churches closing. We need churches opening. We don't need churches selling their buildings to businesses. We need churches buying buildings to expand. Because though we're living in dark days, our light should be brighter than ever. The power of the gospel is more powerful. Listen, the darker the night, the brighter the light. I think Bible Baptists, our best days are ahead. I really do. You look around here. This is a flu season. The week of Thanksgiving, half our church has been raptured. I don't know where they're at. I don't think the FBI knows where they're at. Oh, they'll be back. But we still, think about it, we still, Brother Scott, have been so blessed. A lot of churches, most churches today would look around and would want to have this. This is just one service. We have been so blessed. We got building down there full of kids right now where we used to be. On the other side of it, we have a church that speaks Spanish. 30 or 40 people in there that I wouldn't understand a word they're saying. They're in there worshiping the same Jesus. It's not everywhere. Brother Bushy, you raise and support all over churches. I'm sure you see some really good churches, but I'm sure you've seen some churches that need Jesus. I've been in a bunch that just need Jesus. They've lost focus. A man told me this week, he said, Pastor, we were a part of a church for 23 years. 23 years. Our church already had went through COVID and we lost people because uh, people were afraid to come back and our, our pastor was extremely scared of it. So it took us a lot longer to get back than most churches. Most churches started gathering, some form of gathering. He said, but we didn't. We, we stayed separated. By the time we got back, our pastor had embraced some type of social justice. Let me just say that social justice is not the justice of the Bible because justice is found in Jesus Christ. But when these churches embrace all kinds of different stuff because it's a um, popular trend. All it does is siphons the life that's left in it right out. Just preach Jesus. Just preach Christ. And guess what? The church that was there one Sunday stopped. They just got up that day. The pastor got up. There was like 15 people there. And he just said, you know what? We can't, we can't do it. And so they disbanded. And that man said, I was a part of a church for 23 years. And I had to, I had to watch my church fold up. I say that to say this. It's easy for us to allow things to creep in our church. And as our church grows, it'll even be more easy to allow things to come in because the winds of direction, the winds of change are always blowing. And if we're not careful, we'll buy into one of those things and let that thief and that robber come in and steal our joy, our contentment. And listen, the power of God that rests upon this place will no longer be.